Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Sydney live stream. Uh, this is new to me, so um, looking forward to seeing what the Lord has and a few announcements as we get started today. Um, as you know, unable to meet in person, so don't rock up to the church and think that you can come in. Uh, it is The doors are locked. Um, but we have a schedule that we're working on, and an email was sent out yesterday um, to give information about when we're meeting. Um, Monday night, there's a prayer meeting at 7.30, hosted by Paul Moltino using Zoom. And as you'll see, Zoom is kind of uh, the main way that it looks like we're going to be communicating, at least at the moment. So if you don't have that app, you can download it for free, and it's a way that you can uh, join the prayer meetings or the Bible studies and uh, have fellowship. Uh, Wednesday night, we have a Bible study at 7.30. Bob's hosting that on Zoom. Uh, Friday night, the Word Bible study will be hosted by Chris at 7.30. Solid, I think they're going to be at, at first, at least initially, meeting um, during the sermon, but that may change. And Tribe, I'll be talking to you guys later this week to figure out when we're going to be meeting. Um, so yeah, instead of inviting people to church, invite them to check out the stream, to be involved with the apps, and and to just uh, be praying. Praise the Lord that we have this ability to do this, and um, all for his glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us all, that you are faithful and kind, that you are generous, and that you provide for our needs bountifully. And Lord, we ask that you would bring respite to those who are struggling, to those who are ill, to those who have lost jobs or loved ones. And we pray that you would hear our prayers, Lord. You would look down from heaven and you would uh, minister to every heart your perfect peace and your love and joy. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign and that we can trust you and that you are so good to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1 today. Um, and with what's going on, it's so great to remember how every aspect of God is admirable. He's so good in every way. Um, to have admiration is to be filled with wonder or surprise, reverence, even affection. And when we admire something, it's because we recognize something, an attribute in someone else that's rare. It's a good quality. Perhaps it exceeds our own. It's like I, I might admire someone for their courage. Um, we could admire a child who can spell words that we we can't even pronounce the handiwork of a master craftsman. You see the things that they're able to accomplish and do. And so we admire that. We admire the discipline to train, to, to walk hours, to go to school or to work, um, to, to commit to marrying someone and then staying married for 50 plus years. Um, we don't admire people that are untested. We admire people because they're tested and they've come through with shining colors. Um, one of the admire, admirable and good qualities we see in people, they're really what we see in God. He, he, I guess the good things in people are really the shadow of what we see in Jesus Christ. Because who has more talent or creativity or skill, knowledge, diligence, faithfulness, or power than him. All the greatest romances and epics, uh, the stories, they can't approach the glory of our great God. 
and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that illusionists can't even pretend to do the things that he did for real, that, that doctors can't open the eyes of those born blind with a word or instantly cleanse lepers or heal paralyzed people with words alone. Uh, no one has the power to raise the dead who's been in the grave for four days, um, to speak the truth with all authority and yet in love and grace and compassion. That's something we see in Jesus how he sacrificed his life so that we could have the hope of eternal life. Because there's no hope in this world, but there is hope in Jesus, always, because he is eternal and awesome. So in Luke 7, Jesus has concluded the Sermon on the Plain, and we're going to read of two instances with the centurion and his servant and the widow in Nain and how Jesus ministered to them. So Luke 7, verse 1, Now when he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus is in Capernaum. That's the place where Simon Peter lived. It was a primary location of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And these elders that were Jews came to visit Jesus, and they had been sent by this Roman centurion. Uh, who, and a centurion was a person who was over about 100 soldiers. According to Vegetus, the centurion in the infantry is chosen for his size, strength, and dexterity in throwing his missile weapons and for his skill in the use of his sword and shield. In short, for his expertise in all the exercises, he is to be vigilant, temperate, active, and readier to execute the orders he receives than to talk, strict in exercising and keeping up proper discipline among his soldiers. So centurion, they were a military officer, and they were selected on the basis of their skill and they were responsible to lead. And it was a tough job leading 100 men. And, uh, but despite this guy's tough role, he showed compassion. He has this beloved servant. Uh, slaves generally weren't uh, treated well in the ancient world, but we see that this man had a beloved servant. And he was deathly ill, so he sent these Jewish elders to Jesus to beg to come and heal him. And he shows respect to Jesus because he's sensitive to the cultural, um, I guess the cultural restrictions the Jews had on meeting with Gentiles, and he sent the Jewish elders to him. And, and that he would beg him to visit, that he would plead with him because the Romans had the authority to command Jews um, because they were... Uh, over them. They were subject to them at the time. And so he heard of the fame of Jesus. There was his only way that his servant could be healed, and so he sends these, uh, ser- these uh, elders to plead with Jesus. Now, the Jews hated the oppressive rule of the Romans. They wanted them gone, but these elders, they urged Jesus to come because the centurion was worthy. He was deserving. Like, if there's any Roman that deserves your care, Jesus, it's this man, because he, he loves us. He's given us a synagogue. And it's likely the, the centurion loved the Jews because he loved their God. And he, we see he's a man of authority and of generosity. People that are subject to him, he gives of his wealth to bless them. When he could have 
oppressed them. I think of Nabal, right? It's ironic this Gentile would be blessing the Jewish people, where Nabal, when uh, David came to ask for some supplies for his men, having protected his sheep and his shepherds, Nabal said, I'm not giving you any of my stuff. And he was a man of Judah when David was God's anointed. Now, notice in verse 5 this connection between loving and giving. It shows us that love is more than a feeling. If we truly love people, we'll give of our time, our money, our resources, and we'll seek to meet the needs of others even if it means tapping into um, our prized toilet paper stash or something. Um, the messengers, they assured the Jesus of the centurion's sincerity, of his love. They said, come on, please come and help. So continuing in verse 6, then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus went with the men. Now, did he go because of the worthiness of the man, because of the way that he requested that he come? Because he had built a synagogue? No. That's not why Jesus went with the men, because no one is able to earn the benefits of the presence of God or healing from God, but because God is worthy, because God is gracious, Jesus chose to go with these men. He answered their request. The centurion sent a request believing that Jesus was the only hope of that healing, and it was faith demonstrated in Christ, which is why he went. It wasn't because he was like, well, you know, the guy has done a good job in providing that synagogue, so I'll pay him back. I'll, I'll bless him because he's, he's been a blessing to God's people. No, it was because of God's grace in response to this faith. So when you come before God in prayer and you make requests of him, do you trust him to hear your request based on, the, on your faith in him or that you think you deserve better or you think you're not receiving your just due or there's a sense of entitlement, like I'm God's child and, and I'm not doing so well and I think he should do more for me or, or out of frustration or worry. Jesus has come to us. He hears us. He's answered our prayers. And out of the riches of his grace, he extends his love to us. Jesus walks to the centurion's home. He hadn't gone far before he's met by a second group of messengers. It seems like uh, the, the centurion made the decision to send those Jewish elders, but quickly thought better of it and sent a second group of messengers, his friends, to say, don't come at all because I'm unworthy that you should come to me. He says, I, I would have... I'm not even worthy to come to you in person. That's why I sent the Jews. It's not because I was hoping the Jews could um, sway you because they're Jewish, but I didn't think I was worthy. So I sent the, the elders to you. But now I realize if I'm, not gonna, if I'm not worthy to come to you in person, well, I'm certainly not worthy that you should come to my house and stay with me. So you know what? You just say the word and it will happen. There will be healing. And people came from all over to be physically touched by Jesus. Jews and Gentiles, they came from all over. Yet the centurion believed Jesus only needed to say it 
and it would happen. After all, he said, let there be light, and there was. He says, I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. We see the centurion as a man of authority, but he viewed himself as a man under authority. And because he was selected and he was under the authority of the Roman government, he was assigned as a centurion duties and responsibilities. If he was a man on the street, even though he was skilled with the sword or uh, an imposing figure, the other soldiers could have laughed at him if he had given them commands. But as a centurion, because he was under the authority of that commander and ultimately under Caesar, people did exactly what he said. He said, do this, and they did it. So following the logic, because Jesus was a man under authority, having been sent by God as the Christ, the Son of the living God, he had the power of God to effect real change without fail by his word alone. He didn't consider himself worthy, the centurion, because of his rank or social status. He was a centurion, but Jesus, he's the Son of God, the King of kings, the Most High God, the Lord of all. The centurion served Caesar, but Jesus, he served the Most High, God the Father, the God that we serve. Continuing in verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Jesus heard of this man's faith. He marveled. That means to wonder or admire. And that's very, there's very few times in Scripture where Jesus is seen to be marveling. Both times they concern the matter of faith. Uh, the other time we read of Jesus marveling, it was having to do with the unbelief of his countrymen who had seen his miracles, they had heard of his mighty works, but they still did not believe, as it says in Mark 6.6, 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. The Matthew account, it writes as if the centurion is standing right there. In verse 9, it shows us that Jesus addressed the friends of the centurion as if it was him, as if he was present. He's looking for faith. He had come to Israel to his own people who trusted in God. He's like, where's the faith? He didn't see it, but he found it in this unlikely source, in this centurion, who believed he was the son of God and his word alone was enough. The Jewish elders, it's ironic, right? They think this man's worthy. He's deserving for you to come and hear his, heal his servant, to listen to his request due to his kindness. But Jesus the centurion says, I'm not worthy, and Jesus responds to his faith. Just like the Romans look for particular qualities in centurions, do you know what God's looking for in people? Have you ever thought about that? You, you think, like when you go to buy something, an appliance or a tool, there's, there's aspects of it that you look for. You're thinking about, does it have a warranty? Is it going to do the job? Is, it, uh, what, is the price worth it? Um, but God is looking for something in people. And there's a few of them just uh, from the scriptures here. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So it's not just that God is looking for loyal hearts, but he, he's looking to show himself strong on behalf of those who are loyal to him. Uh, after revealing that 
uh, heaven is his throne and earth his footstool. God said this in Isaiah 66, 2. He says, for all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. He's looking for people who have a humble heart, who listen to his word and do it. In his conversation with the Samaritan woman, Jesus uh, said in John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Those who worship God in spirit and truth are those who have been born again through faith in Jesus. They've received the gospel and they're worshiping God through faith in Christ because they see he is God. Come to us. And he's looking for this faith, humility, obedience to his word and belief in it, faithfulness to him. Now notice the power of Jesus. He doesn't even say the word, does he? It doesn't say that he said, you know, he addressed the sickness. He just said, I haven't ever seen such, I mean, I, I haven't seen such faith in Israel. And he admired that rare quality. And it says, when the friends and the elders came, returned, they found the centurion servant miraculously healed. Jesus responded to that centurion's request, not based on the centurion's worthiness, but because Christ is worthy. Jesus is the worthy one. Luke 7, 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. After being met by the friends of the centurion, Jesus had begun to go to the centurion's home. We don't know where that was. Uh, Jesus did not return to Capernaum. He continued on this journey southeast to this obscure city of Nain. It's the only mention of it in the Bible. And as we go, continue through Luke, we basically are going to read things that are not seen in any of the other Gospels. And this is one of those. Um, some 40 Ks away. So it's quite a journey. He's accompanied by, it says, many of his disciples and a large crowd. And as he comes to the gate of the city of Nain, they're met by this funeral procession. And emotions were raw. It's likely that this had been, this was the day the man had died. It was a common practice in antiquity based on Deuteronomy 21-23 that the Jews would bury the deceased on the day of their death. So people were emotional. It was a difficult scene. And, and it's like of all the places Jesus could have gone or he could have been, he, he chose to go to this small town where an unnamed widow had lost her only son, who was tragically, he was a relatively young man. And everything about it's a tragedy. She's already lost her husband, and now her only child. And verse 13, it says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. This word saw, it's more than just seeing with your eyes. It's overwhelmingly translated to know in the scripture. In our common slang, it's like, like saying, I get you, like I understand so he saw her, but he knew her. He knew what she had experienced. She, he knew the woman. He knew her past. He knew what she, the pain she was feeling in that moment. And his heart was filled with affection, sympathy, and care. 
Just imagine it. Here's a woman who's lost her son, who maybe is thinking to herself, there's nobody who understands what I'm feeling right now. No one can know the depth of my sorrow, grief, and despair. And she's accompanied by all these people, but not one of them is her son. Her son is there, but he's passed. And he can't be replaced. And she's thinking like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How am I going to live? I can't go to him. And it's, while all this is happening, and there's this big crowd, and they're mourning and wailing, they maybe didn't even see this group that had arrived with Jesus. Maybe she didn't even recognize Jesus. But he knew her, and he had compassion on her. She hadn't sent a messenger to go to Jesus. She hadn't made a request of him to come, like the centurion did. She didn't have a servant who could travel all that way. But Jesus came to her. And when he says to her, do not weep, it's an odd thing to say to a hurting person. I wonder if there were some townsfolks who, who, who thought, man, how insensitive, how dare this young man, how intrusive, who is this guy? But Jesus knew a lot they didn't know because he knew her. And he knew because he was there, everything had changed. He would make all the difference in their lives. Now, at the moment, everyone in Australia and the world, we've been impacted by this viral pandemic. Uh, there's these new restrictions that seem to come daily. Uh, many are suffering the loss of income, savings, health, their life, their way of life. People, and aside from all that, people are grieving the loss of loved ones. There's the loss of employment. There's um, weddings being canceled and trips postponed, and, and people can feel isolated, alone, and helpless. Now, you may not be a widow in the process of bearing your only son, but we all have something in common with this widow in Nain because Jesus knows you and he knows what you're going through. He sees your tears, he knows the pain you feel and why. He knows your numbness and your dry eyes that you haven't shed a tear because you don't even know how to feel anymore. He draws near to you now by his grace, though you haven't cried out to him and maybe you don't even know him. Moved by love and compassion, Jesus comes to you in grief and uncertainty and he says, I know, do not weep. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3 that there's a time for every purpose under heaven he says that there's a time to be born and a time to die. Later, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Was it fitting the widow should weep with grief when the Son of God sought her out? Was it right to be mourning when salvation and new life drew near to her? If she knew who it was who spoke those words to her, her sorrow would have turned to joy in an instant. Because without the new life that Jesus brings, the tears, grief, anxiety, it has no end. But Jesus has come. He stands at the door of your heart even now calling out your name. He asks you to trust and to open up to him. He doesn't minimize your pain in light of your circumstances, 
But in, in light of his love, his grace, and his power towards us, often our tears are spent on ourselves and over the equivalent of spilt milk when we realize how awesome he is and how good he is to us. If we will be healed, if we will be born again, if we'll be restored to fellowship with God, it requires faith in Jesus. It requires faith demonstrated through obedience. Because faith, it takes God at his word. It trusts what he says even over how we feel at a given moment. Faith is not a claim to fully understand everything, but it's reliance upon the fact God is going to do what he's promised, even when it doesn't seem like it. Please turn, if you can, to 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Jesus, who said to this woman, do not weep. He is the Father of mercies. He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. And the word tribulation, it means pressure, affliction, burden, persecution, and trouble. In every situation, God has comfort for you, not only for your sake, but to the end that you may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. God desires to use you, not people who have suffered, but people who are suffering to minister his comfort to others. That's one reason why God gives us such consolation. He's never promised us from suffering, like deliverance from suffering in this life because Jesus suffered, didn't he? But he gives us all comfort in himself in all situations, not just for your benefit, but that through you, others can also be comforted. Who knows how long it will be until it's legal for us to shake hands and to hug one another. It says it's a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. We're in that refraining period now. But the, see, but the word of God is true. There is a season for embracing, and it's coming. And isn't it great to be held in the arms of Jesus today? Praise the Lord for him. Luke 7, 14, then he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen up among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Jesus came near and touched the open coffin or beer, as it says in the King James. It was, um, uh, I think the beer is more of a stand or, or what the body was carried on because quite often the, the bodies were not entombed in a coffin like we do today. It would have been in the open air, typically in a cave or crypt. Um, and so he comes up and he touches what the body is being carried on. And he speaks to the dead man who miraculously hears him and sits up and begins to speak. So death, overcome by the life that's in Jesus Christ. And he presents him alive to his mother, who undoubtedly shed tears of joy. Like all the things she was lamenting, all the worries and cares, all those anxieties, all the dread, it was blown away like a vapor 
just swallowed up by the joy of the Lord. It's like her cheeks were wet with the tears of sorrow, but suddenly there was a new source. There was a new motive behind it. Her perspective had changed because her son was alive and Jesus was there. She doesn't have any hard, harsh words for Christ, like, why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't you prevent his death? But he arrived at the perfect time. He did his wonders. And uh, it's fitting that the city of Nain is called beautiful or pleasant. From that initial view of Nain with the funeral procession, it seemed anything but pleasant. But because Jesus is there, who is beautiful, um, man, what a change. The Enduring Word Commentary quotes Pate on this passage. It says, Mr. Moody was asked to conduct a funeral service, so he decided to study the Gospels to find a funeral sermon delivered by Jesus. However, Moody searched in vain because every funeral Jesus attended, he broke up by raising the dead. That's pretty awesome, huh? So what's the response of the people? They, they, they're all weeping, they're wailing, but suddenly the dead man that they're about to bury has come to life. It says, fear came upon them all, coupled with the glory of God. It, it hearkened back to the miracles that, that Elijah and Elisha had done, those miraculous deeds. And surely a great prophet God had raised up among them. And uh, Elisha, we know he had a double portion of the spirit that Elijah had upon him. But Jesus, he had the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's not possible to have more of the Holy Spirit than Jesus had, but all who believe are given the same Spirit without measure. So how awesome is that? And they started reporting of these marvelous deeds throughout the region. I've heard people say that 2020 is a bad year, it's a hard year, but when we trust in Jesus Christ, we can receive consolation, peace, salvation we could not have known otherwise. You might be like the centurion who has sought the Lord, seeking his healing or his help, or perhaps like the widow who was drowning in sorrow, who maybe didn't even know Jesus at all. But Jesus is able to comfort and help you today. And even if the servant was not healed, or if the dead had not been raised, to have Jesus with us, he's the one who shepherds us, who guides us, who provides for us. It's cause for great rejoicing because he's able to change our perspective. I went into the shops the other day and, and there were some things that I would typically buy that were not available. But, you know, praise the Lord, I had plenty. We lacked nothing in the end. But it occurred to me how I needed to change my mindset of instead of saying, say, oh, you went to the shops? Say, yeah, they didn't have this and they didn't have that. Instead to say, well, what did they have? They had this, and they had that. And I'm really grateful for the things that God supplied. So our, our mentality, my mentality, needs to keep changing to be honoring to God and to be acknowledging the fact that He is miraculously providing for and sustaining us through this difficult time. Like the Jewish elders, I think that's really where I fit in this message today, is that they were saying to Jesus, the centurion, he's worthy. My job is to tell you that Jesus is worthy. He's the one that we're to look to. Um, and he actually is worthy. We're unworthy. We're unworthy to have been visited by the presence of God, to be given his grace. We're unbelieving, no good sinners. But God, he's gracious. He's to come to us, to save us, to call our name, to be patient and long-suffering with us. 
He will guide and provide. He will heal and bring revival to those who are dead. He'll supply new life. And on the heels of exhorting the Romans to believe and rejoice in Jesus, Paul writes in Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is an end to the hope and joy and peace that you can muster up or that you receive through good news or through your own circumstances. Um, Our hopes, they're easily disappointed. You may have made plans that have now had to change. Uh, The mother's joy of bearing a son, it was drowned in the sorrow of having to bury him. Our feelings of peace, they are disturbed by sickness, by suffering and loss, but praise be to God because God is the God of hope. Having believed on him, being filled with the Spirit, we have hope according to the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's transformational. That's life-changing. That's for eternity. And for us, eternity has begun. Now, when we suffer, it is encouraging to hear from people who have gone through difficult times. Uh, Please turn to Psalm 126. The children of Israel, they were no strangers to suffering. Uh, they were defeated by their enemies. They, they were suffering um, from the siege, so there was famine and starvation. Jerusalem was raised. The temple of God was made a ruin. The people were, they were forced to leave their homes and went to Babylon for 70 years where they remained in captivity as slaves. 70 years. I mean, we think about the current restrictions and they're saying maybe... Maybe six months. Maybe, like, six months is nothing compared to 70 years. I can't imagine that. Well, in God's time, according to his promise and the command of King Cyrus of Persia, the Jews were invited to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Now, this, this returning, it was four months of travel time. There were enemies on the way. There, were, there was opposition There were difficulties. It required hard work, personal sacrifice, but God was with them. He helped them to be fruitful. Now, this psalm is the perspective of the people who, after 70 years of captivity as slaves, are now returning to the land of their inheritance and to worshiping the Lord in a temple that's not even built yet. This is what they say in Psalm 126, starting in verse 1. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who, goes, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. When those seven years of captivity were over, it was like a dream come true. Some returned to Jerusalem. They had lived there as young children. Others, they were in the land of their inheritance for the very first time. They had been born into captivity. When they returned, it it was nothing like their departure. They were departing in mourning with just the stench of death. But now they're returning. They're laughing. They're singing. It says they're filled with gladness. Even the foreign nations, they realized that God had done some awesome things for them. It said, and they said, 
Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. The land of Israel was dependent upon the seasonal rain and the streams that would flow to grow their crops. And this small trickle that began to the holy land of people, it would increase. And their fruitfulness within the land, that also was helped greatly by God. Because it's like you had a little bit of seed and it's dry. The furrows are dry. The clods are hard. And you're thinking, man, this seed, it needs to grow. If, if the rain doesn't come, if the water doesn't flow, we're going to starve. And so they threw, they cast out all the seed. They scattered it. Because if you want to harvest, you've got to sow. They sow all the seed in tears. It was not easy, but they reaped in joy. And that's true of the case of the children of Israel, the widow of Nain, and all who trust in the Lord, that someday tears of sadness will be overwhelmed by tears of joy, even as God caused those seeds planted in dry ground to produce abundantly and even have sheaves. That's like grain that's bundled together, worth celebrating. So instead of looking to news reports or the stock market or superannuation or your stocked pantry or employment status or, or to the government for hope, look to Jesus with admiration and faith because as children of God through faith in Christ, we have a joyful future. This is spoken of in Revelation 21, 3 through 5. It says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You know who that is on the throne, right? That's Jesus. How awesome is he? May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us all. Thank you for your blessings that are beyond measure. You are an awesome God. Thank you, Lord, that we can look to you, the God of all the earth, the one who has sent our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who has given us the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the one who provides our food and our housing and our jobs and our transport and everything that we rely upon, Lord, may it be you we rely upon and not these passing things. May we not look for hope in this world. That's hopeless. And may you bring the healing and the health that we desire. May people be drawn to you through this time. May our perspective be changed, Lord, instead of being negative about what we don't have to rejoicing in what we do have. And Lord, even if this world is dissolved or the mountains are thrown into the sea, we have you. Even if our life on earth ends, Lord, you are almighty and you're preparing a place for us where sorrow will be dead and we will live forever in your presence. Lord, we rejoice in you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us all. Lord, bless and guide and direct us, empower us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.